Mark chapter 7. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 31. I invite you to follow along with me as I read out loud. Mark chapter 7, verse 31. And again, departing from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coasts of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears and he spit and touched his tongue and looked up to heaven and he sighed and saith unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened and the string of his tongue was loosed and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man, but the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it. And were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless your word as we look to it at this time to see the truth that you want us to know and how it should change the way that we think and the way that we live. Glorify Yourself through Your Word today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Genesis chapter 1, we read about the creation of the universe. In six literal 24-hour days, God created everything that exists. And as you read through the chapter, you find that at the end of each day, God stepped back and He surveyed His creation and He declared that it was good. And we learn something in that chapter, some very fundamental truths. We learn that God is a doer. He is active. He's working. He's not just sitting back watching things happen. And He's not just an active participant, but rather He is the sovereign Creator who works His plan in His creation. We also learn that everything that God does, He does well. He looked at His creation and He said that it was good. Some believe that God is impersonal and disconnected. They don't think that He takes a personal interest in individual lives. If they believe in God at all, they have this idea about Him that He, he made it all and He kind of got everything going, but now He's just kind of watching with His arms crossed to see what will happen. Or if He's involved at all, He's just reacting to things like you and I might react to things. He doesn't necessarily know beforehand what's going to happen. And, and so He's just responding. Maybe they would say because He's God, He's responding and reacting better than anybody would. But the truth of the matter is that God is not a divine spectator. He is the sovereign author of history. Everything that God does is according to His plan and He is actively working that sovereign plan in each of our lives. Now the conclusion that we must draw from this, if we're going to be consistent then, is that everything that happens to us is a part of God's perfect plan for us. There are no surprises to God. 
God is not like your favorite character in a story who encounters a plot twist and has to somehow figure out how to reconcile whatever this tragedy or this wrong was. That's not God at all. Everything, even including the effects of sin, are under God's sovereign control. And it's because God does everything well that we can confidently believe the truth of Romans 8.28 that all things will work together for good. Now in our story that we've read from Mark chapter 7, we see an example of someone who if you were to look in their life the day before they met the Lord Jesus Christ, you would not say, well, that's good. Because this person, according to Mark chapter 7, was deaf and had a speech impediment so that he could not speak properly. The Bible tells us as he came into this area of Tyre and Sidon, came through that area to the Sea of Galilee, they brought to him a man who had a very severe problem. The combination of both being deaf and unable to speak meant that his ability to communicate with others was almost non-existent. The only way that he could possibly communicate would be to try and decipher motions, perhaps, that people would maybe use to kind of pantomime ideas. But he couldn't speak to them in response. He couldn't hear the words that they were saying. And this man had to live with this condition for who knows how long. They bring this man to Jesus, they being apparently friends and family, perhaps, not specified here, but they brought him to Jesus because they had heard what Jesus could do and they wanted Jesus to solve this man's problem. Before we look at the problem and how it was solved, I want to begin with what was the conclusion of the story in verse number 37. Because when Jesus encountered this problem, the result was everybody stood back and made this statement, He hath done all things well. He hath done all things well. I'm here to encourage you this morning that no matter what kind of problems you may face in life, none of them are a surprise to God. He already knows. And however God is going to work through that problem either to solve the problem or to give you the grace to endure so that through the problem God is glorified. Whatever God does with your problem, He will do it well. Because He hath done all things well. And the result of that should be that you should praise God for what He's doing in your life. So let's look back at our story at a few details. Notice again this man's problem. The Bible tells us that he was deaf and he had a, a, some kind of a speech impediment. He was unable to communicate. Can you imagine living in a situation like this, this man did? I know some uh, have, have some frame of reference of what it would like to be like to live in this kind of a condition. But it would have been, especially in Jesus' day, uh, a problem that was unsolvable. They didn't have hearing aids. They couldn't do a cochlear implant for this man to be able to get some measure of hearing back. Uh, 
They didn't have the modern surgical techniques for uh, perhaps if he had some kind of a physical disformity or with his mouth that prevented his speech. Or They didn't have that. They didn't have modern speech therapy to help him to be able to learn to formulate sounds even though he couldn't hear. He had none of that available to him. And here was this man saddled with this problem. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be in his position? Maybe you can. Maybe you've dealt with problems in your life that seemed unsolvable to you. They were long-term problems. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. As far as you could see, you were just going to have to live with this forever. That's difficult, not only to deal with physically, but also it creates a lot of spiritual challenges. Because when you're, when you're faced with problems with that, you ask questions. And just naturally, you want to know why. Why am I having to deal with this? I wondered, did this man ever ask himself, why am I deaf? Why can't I speak? Depending on, depending on how long he had had this condition, even for this man to be able to process these things would have been more challenging for you and I. And so the questions that come with it are often just as bad or even worse than the problem itself. Turn over to the book of John. Let me show you an example of what I'm talking about. John chapter 9. John chapter 9 and verse number 1, it says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? that this man was born blind. This man or his parents that he was born blind. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. The disciples on this occasion saw this man born blind, and they asked the question that all of us would probably be tempted to ask. Who sinned? Obviously somebody did something wrong for this to have happened to this man. Was it him or was it his parents? That was the question the disciples asked. Really just voicing the same thing that we wonder when we face problems in life. All right, who sinned? Who did something wrong? Who caused this tragedy to occur? Now we understand that because we live in a world of sin, that's why we have problems. That's why we have pain. That's why we have suffering. All suffering can be traced back to the original sin. But not every suffering in our life is a direct result of some particular sin that you or I or someone else has committed. There are times when we have problems, when we have trials, when we have tribulations, whatever you want to call them, that we are simply going through that because that's part of God's perfect plan for us. Like Jesus said in John chapter 9 and verse number 3, neither this man nor his parents but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Nobody did anything wrong that that man was born blind. God wanted to use this to glorify himself in and through this man. And this, back in Mark chapter 7, the man who was deaf and was not able to speak properly, we can't say that he had committed some horrible sin and that this was a consequence or that his parents had done this wrong and it was a consequence. It very well could be that God ordained that this man go through this trial simply so that God could be glorified in him. That, I understand, is hard to accept. 
How can we say that something that causes pain, something that causes suffering and trauma, something that is uncomfortable, something that is less than perfect, is part of God's perfect plan? How can we say that? It seems like a contradiction until we remember the truth of Scripture. He hath done all things well. You see, at this point in the story, the man is in the middle of the trial, he's in the middle of the problem, and he doesn't know the end result yet. All he knows is what he's feeling right then. And for someone in that position, the temptation is to think that God must have made a mistake. Somebody must have made a mistake because this is not good. But see, it's not an irony. It's the truth of Scripture that even the bad, God can use for good. And that's what He does in this man's life. So notice, we've seen the problem that he had. Let's go back to Mark 7 and see the plan here. These people bring the man to Jesus. And there's an interesting statement here in verse 32. It says, they, those people beseech Him, that is Jesus, to put His hand upon Him. So they came to Jesus not asking for healing in general, but there was a way that they said it that's interesting. They said, put your hand on Him. Lay your hand on Him and heal Him. Now maybe they had seen Jesus heal other people in different ways, and maybe they had seen an instance where Jesus healed by laying on of hands, but whatever the cause, that was something specific that they asked for. Notice what Jesus did. They had a particular idea, but Jesus had a little bit different of one. Because the Bible says that Jesus took the man aside, He separated him from the multitude, and then He, he did something kind of, well, let's just say weird, all right? He, he put His fingers in His ears. That's kind of an odd thing to do to another person. My brothers used to do that to me when I was a kid just to annoy me, you know. So that's interesting that He did that. And then it says... He spit and touched his tongue. Now, whether he spit into his hand and then touched his tongue with the finger of spit or how exactly this worked, it just, this is different, all right? It's not the common way that you would expect for Jesus to work a miracle. Sometimes he would just say a word. Sometimes he would just touch someone. On an occasion, he spit again. He made mud and rubbed it in a blind man's eyes and told him to go wash it off. Jesus always had a different way, it seemed like, of healing people. And it was often something unique to that person's situation. Are you following here? This man had two problems. He could not hear and he could not speak. That meant communication was difficult for him. He would have a hard time understanding what was going on around him. And here he is standing to Jesus, face to face with Jesus and Jesus reaches out and takes his holy fingers and puts them in the man's ears. Do you see he was communicating with this man in a way that this man could understand. Then he did this with the spitting and, and uh, touching the man's tongue. Again, he was communicating with him in a tactile way, in a way that this man would understand what Jesus was doing. It was a different plan than what everyone else thought. Jesus, lay your hand on him. Jesus' plan was different. It was better. 
He did it in a way that was special, that was unique for this man and his problem. I love this fact about Jesus, that He is so personal that when He deals with us as His children, He's going to deal with us in in a unique manner to us. Not that the truth changes, not that uh, any of that changes, not that He gives us any kind of extra biblical special revelation, but all all I'm saying is that God relates to me as me. And He relates to you as you because you are His unique creation. And when you have a problem, it is a unique problem. It may be similar to a lot of other people's problems. And there certainly is a large amount of our suffering that we share in common uh, common things that we all go through. But every problem has its own special uniqueness that God knows about. And so Jesus had a different plan that he enacted in this man's life. Don't try to put God in a box. When you have a problem, when I have problems, I always begin to formulate solutions to those problems. Maybe you do the same thing. Me, I'm a planner, I'm a fixer anyway. I can't stand it when something mechanical is broken and I can't figure out how to fix it. It drives me crazy. Like when air conditioners leak in the auditorium. Brother Riffle and I have been spending the last week and a half trying to get these air conditioners to quit leaking. It's gotten so bad, I kid you not, I literally dreamed last night that I came into the church and there were rivers of water going through our auditorium. All right, I'm, I'm a fixer. And so when problems happen, I start coming up with solutions. And we all do that to one degree or another. Some of you may be more like me and it's like hyperactive. But we all do it to one degree or another. And the danger is, is that we come up with our solutions and we come to the God and say, here's the problem, God, here's how you need to fix it. And we put God, we attempt to put God in a box. The problem with that is He is way smarter than you and I. Isaiah 55 says that His thoughts and His ways are so much higher than our thoughts and our ways. It's like as high as the heavens are above the earth. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. They are infinitely better. And so don't, what I'm saying is don't put God in a box and say, God, here's the problem. Here's how you need to solve it. Because God can solve it so much better than you and I. They had an idea. Lord, lay your hands on him. Jesus said, I've got a better one. I'm going to put my fingers in his ear. I'm going to spit and I'm going to touch his tongue. And then here was the third step. It says he sighed. He sighed. And then he spoke a single word in the original language, Ephatha, which simply means being open. I hope this is not too much speculation, but when I think of someone sighing, that is a kind of a whole body response, right? And for this man who could not hear the words that Jesus spoke, he would be able to see Jesus and maybe even feel his breath as he sighed 
and said, Ephrathah. Again, the solution for this man's problem, the plan that Jesus had, was so much better. It was so personalized to him. And Jesus uttered this word of command, be open. And the Bible says, straightway, verse 35, straightway his ears were opened and the string of his tongue was loose and he spake plain. Folks, that is nothing short of a miracle. God suspended the laws of nature and intervened in this situation so that the man went from not being able to hear at all to having perfect hearing, not being able to speak at all, and being able to speak plainly. Now, even with all of our technology today, if you take someone that was in this man's position, and let's just say that you were able to do surgery and give him a, something, a, some kind of a device that would restore his hearing, and that you, if he had some kind of physical uh, problem with his mouth, gave him the surgery he needed so that everything could operate correctly, you understand that it would be months of rehabilitation for this man to be able to speak and communicate plainly. It would take a lot of time and most likely he would always have some kind of a, a little bit of a speech impediment or something that would indicate of the previous problems that he had. But that's not what happened with this man. Jesus said, be opened. And instantly, straightway, he was healed. That was God's plan for him. I know... I don't want to get your hopes up. I don't want you to think that I'm telling you that if you'll trust God with your plan, then straightway He'll take care of it and you'll never have to deal with it again. That's not always God's plan. But when it is, that's what God does and He does it perfectly. Whatever God's plan is, here's the point. You can trust God to execute that plan perfectly. God does not make mistakes he does not overlook details. He does not forget to take care of things. Whatever God does, He does it perfectly. As was illustrated by this man's instant and complete healing. We've seen the problem in the plan. Notice finally, from verses 36 and 37, the publishing. It says that he charged them, the people that were there, including the man that was healed, that they should tell no man. Now, this is interesting. Jesus, on this occasion, tells them, don't tell anybody. Don't say anything about this. But notice what it says. The more they charged, he, the more he charged them, so much the more, a great deal, they published it. Isn't that just like human nature? Jesus said, now don't tell anybody. So what did they do? They told everybody. And I can't help but think of the, the contrast between this and the Great Commission. Jesus says, tell everybody. And we have a hard time telling anybody. They saw Jesus do this miracle and the Bible says they begin to tell everybody and they, the, 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 a great deal they published it because, verse 37, they were beyond measure astonished. And here was their testimony about this event. The words that are our text for today. He hath done all things well. If you have uh, something to write with and you mark in your Bible... I would encourage you to underline all things. All things. It doesn't take a Greek scholar 
doesn't take a Bible college degree, doesn't take any kind of advanced training to understand the meaning of all things. All things means all things. Whatever God does, He does it well. He hath done all things well. Psalm 119 verse 68 says, God is good and doeth good. Everything that God does, God, God does it well. It's good. Now I know that's easy for us to read on paper, to say out loud, and to acknowledge in our head. But here's where it gets difficult. It's very difficult to say that when you're the deaf man in verse 32. Before you meet Jesus, before Jesus heals you, it's difficult to say then, He hath done all things well. It's even a little difficult when you're the deaf man in verse 33. When Jesus is taking you through a process as a part of His plan that's going to result in healing, but at that exact moment, it can be kind of uncomfortable. We, we like to be at the end of this in verse 35. And that's at the point, once the, once the story is over, once we've read the last chapter, once we can look back and we can see how everything worked out, at that point, oh, yes, He does everything well. But when we're in the middle of the story, that's hard. That's where faith comes in. That's where we have to go back to the truth of Scripture and choose to believe that no matter what problem I'm going through and no matter what strange plan God is working out in my life, He doeth all things well. Whatever God is doing, it's good. The problem then is a part of the plan. Jot that down. The problem is a part of the plan. I know that's not easy to accept when you're in the middle of the problem. And that's why we need to remind ourselves of it constantly. I know we have questions. Well, how, how does that work when this person sinned against God's clearly revealed will? How can that be a part of God's perfect plan? And I do not pretend to have all the answers for you this morning. And I cannot lay out for you a perfect picture of how everything is going to work from beginning to end. Only God can do that. The best that I can do today is to point you back to God's holy word and say, He hath done all things well. And to try and encourage you that while the problem may seem permanent and unsolvable and something that's just going to cause you misery for the rest of your life, God has a plan. And the problem is part of the plan. And I want to encourage you this morning not to wait until the end of the story to start praising the Lord. But wherever you are in the story, start praising Him now. Because I know there are things that God has already done that are worthy of, His, of you praising Him. And I can say confidently that when it's all done, you and I will be able to look back and say, I see now. 
It may be not until we get to heaven that we truly understand it all. But there will come a day when every one of us will acknowledge, like these in Mark chapter 7, He hath done all things well. So whatever your problem, trust God's plan. Trust God's process through the plan. And give God the praise for what He's doing in your life. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I thank you for giving your attention to the Word of God for a few minutes. As we have looked in Scripture today at this story from Mark 7, I hope that you have been encouraged by the fact that nothing that is going on in your life or has ever gone on or will ever go on escapes God's sovereign plan for you. And I want to encourage you today that if you're driving yourself crazy trying to figure it out, stop. Don't lean on your own understanding. Just acknowledge Him in all your ways. And He'll direct your path. There comes a point where you have to just say, Lord, I don't understand. So I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you are good and that you are doing good and that this problem, though I can't make sense of it, is a part of your plan. And Lord, I'm going to praise you that you are a good God who is worthy of my trust, who will never let me down, and that when this is all over, I will see just how right you were, how wise and good and loving and kind Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you have done time and again in my own life and problems that I have faced, many that were far beyond my feeble abilities to understand. And yet, God, you have worked through those problems to grow me, to strengthen me, and to glorify yourself, to bless me and those around me. And Lord, I... I have seen firsthand how you work all things together for good. And I thank you for allowing me to see that. Lord, I wish I could say that that means I never doubt you, but I still struggle. So God, help me. In those times that I'm tempted to doubt you, help me to remember you have done all things well. And I pray for everyone here today, many who I know are struggling in various ways, going through different problems and difficulties in life. Help them to learn to count it all joy when they fall into diverse temptations. Help them to understand that, that it's not wrong to suffer if the will of God be so. And help them to see their need to trust you as you're working out your sovereign plan in their life. And I pray it in Jesus' name.